0: You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 98. Hey, I'm your host, Dr. Yami. I'm a board certified pediatrician, certified health and wellness coach, author, and speaker.
1: We're having broccoli. when you start to notice there's problems there consistently um that's not you know just a, a one-off psychological issue pay attention because that could be a sign that the arteries all throughout your body are becoming diseased or weakened
0: welcome back veggie lovers to veggie doctor radio this is quite an exciting interview. Before I go any further, I do want to give a disclaimer because I know that several of my patient families listen to this podcast with their children, which you are still welcome to, but I want you to know that we will be talking about adult topics. We're going to be talking about penis health and sexuality and those kinds of things. So if you would prefer for your children, younger audience, not to listen to these topics. Please put on your headphones or listen at another time when the littles are not around. So just want to give that disclaimer so that you know what is coming up. (laughs) Anyway. um, So today I interviewed Dr. Aaron Spitz, who is a board certified urologist who appeared in the documentary, The Game Changers. It is a great interview. I am so excited for you to hear it. But before we get to that, I wanna remind you about my newsletter, two ways to sign up, dryami.com forward slash sign up, or you can text the word Fiber, F-I-B-E-R, to 66866. In addition, I wanna remind you about my book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, how to raise kids who love to eat healthy. You can find that on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, other major booksellers online. Please, if you have already read a copy, could you please drop a review on Amazon for me? I would appreciate it so much. And thank you all of you who come back every week to listen to my podcast, my loyal listeners. I appreciate you so much in everything that you do. I wanna read an Amazon review by Jennifer about my book and it is entitled Great Advice to Medical Professionals Too. Jennifer says, well-written book and an excellent resource for parents and healthcare providers alike. Dr. Yami has done a very thorough job shedding light on the complicated issue of feeding our kids and helping them to become healthy, happy eaters. As a fellow pediatrician, I have already incorporated advice from this book in the way that I counsel patients and their families. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for that five-star review on Amazon. I appreciate it so much. Remember that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment by a physician. So if you have concerns about you or your child or anybody in your family's health, please consult a medical professional. All right, so I am so excited that I was able to interview Dr. Aaron Spitz, who, like I said, he is a board certified urologic surgeon in Los Angeles. And he starred in the documentary, The Game Changers, which I feel like has been a game changer for a lot of people. There are a lot of people, especially men, that are seeing this documentary. And because of it, they are. Adopting a plant-based diet, or at least trying it out to see how it feels for them, and I'm so appreciative. In the movie, there's a part about erectile dysfunction. You have to watch it if you haven't already, but it's really cool because Dr. Spitz works with three men and does an experiment. So you're gonna have to watch the documentary to learn more about that. We do talk a little bit about the interview, but it's it's such. An eye opening experiment that really helps you see the importance of diet when it comes to the health of the penis. And that's why I wanted to have Dr. Spitz on the show today, because I feel like this is a topic that we don't talk about very much. We don't really talk about erectile dysfunction. Maybe it's one of those things that's kind of kept quiet. And a lot of people don't realize that. One of the one of the big causes of erectile dysfunction is our diet and lifestyle because erections are formed from blood flow. And if you are eating food or having a lifestyle that reduces blood flow, it doesn't optimize blood flow to all of your body, including your heart, including your eyes, then it will definitely affect the penis. It's related. And I think a lot of men, really want to do whatever they can to protect the health of their penis. They're very proud of their penises. They want it to function. They want to be able to have sexual function for a long time. And so I think that this information is really important to get out into the public. So let me tell you more about Dr. Aaron Spitz. Dr. Aaron Spitz is a board-certified urologist who specializes in male infertility and sexual health. He is widely respected in the medical community and has published a number of articles on these subjects. He is also a frequent media spokesperson who seeks to promote awareness and knowledge about problems like erectile dysfunction while decreasing stigma about them. He graduated from Cornell University Medical College and completed his urology residency at the University of Southern California Medical Center. He also held a fellowship in male reproductive medicine and surgery at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. The other thing that is very important to know about Dr. Spitz is he has a book called The Penis Book, a doctor's complete guide to the penis from size to function and everything in between. It's already been translated in four languages, including Italian, Dutch, Chinese, and soon will be in Czech, Romanian, and Turkish. So this book is great. I read it myself. It is hilarious. There's so many puns in there. So it goes by quickly because you're having so much fun reading it. And in this interview, we talk about all the things that he talked about in the book, but really we don't cover all of it because it's only a one hour interview. But we talk about how diet and lifestyle can affect erections and the health of the penis. We talk about nitric oxide. We talk about um, how men that aren't already eating a plant-based diet can approach eating a plant-based diet. We also talk about chronic stress and how that can affect libido and erections and how many common medications can also affect erections. And one of the things I asked Dr. Spitz is how can women support men in their lives when it comes to sexual health and the health of their penis. So he had some really great advice. I just love what Dr. Spitz is doing. I love how passionate and how caring he is. You can just tell he's so compassionate and empathetic. So definitely this is an important episode to listen to for women that have men in their lives that have penises. <laughs> so I hope that you enjoy this episode and get a lot out of it. And because you have learned this information, you can pass it along to the men in your lives. And it could not just help their penis, but really save their lives. So thank you again for listening. I hope that you enjoy this episode and I hope that you have a very fantastic day. Dr. Aaron Spitz, it is such a pleasure to have you on Veggie Doctor Radio today. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really, really glad to be joining you today.
0: Well, I saw you on The Game Changers, which is a fabulous documentary. And I hope everybody that's listening, if you haven't already seen it, I hope that you go watch it today. It's fabulous. And, you know, what a great documentary. But, in the documentary, you show your book, The Penis Book, which yes. I have read. And what a delightful book. It looks like you had so much fun writing the book, did you?
1: Thank you. Um, I did. You know, I felt like if I had a three day weekend with any of my patients and had the chance to tell them everything I knew about the penis, it would be this book. And so that's. That's sort of the mindset I had when I was writing it. so it was a lot of fun and it was it was kind of invigorating to be able to put all that I knew into this book. It was very satisfying that way.
0: Well, and I feel like I was giggling throughout the book and I don't know why it is that penises are so funny, but obviously you had fun putting lots of puns into them and I laughed the whole time. So for you know you. I never imagined in my life I would be reading a book called The Penis Book. Um, but I did and it was great. So thank you for that.
1: Well, thank you. Did you uh, learn a little bit more about how the other half lives?
0: Oh yeah. So, you know, that's that's what I was gonna say is, I feel like, you know, it, it seems like it's a book written for, of course, for men, because it's about the penis, but I feel like many women would benefit from reading the book as well, because it really helps you understand that, The penis is also an organ that's vulnerable to a lot of things. It's connected to the rest of the body. And when it comes to our health, the penis is also very affected by that. That's right.
1: It's not not just a battering ram. It's also a window into our health. Exactly right.
0: Exactly, and I think women—we kind of think of the penis as like, oh, it's it's easy, you know. Men have it super easy, but really, the penis is is kind of sensitive organ.
1: <laughs> a lot guys. of things
0: can affect it.
1: <laughs> well, we think just about women. We think, oh, women have it easy, you know. Mm-hmm. The penis is on display; it's got to rise to the occasion. Women, it's just you know, it's just a receptacle, and and there's no function that has to happen. They can fake it. Uh, that's So it's very funny how we both have sort of the inverse views of each other's sex organs.
0: Yeah, that is so funny. So erectile dysfunction is a very important topic because it's pretty common. So can you share with us some statistics about how common it is?
1: Sure. Um, it's more common as men get older because uh, it is a reflection of the aging of a man's blood vessels But it can also be a a cause, it can also be caused by psychological behavioral factors affecting younger guys or other factors too that are less common. But if you just think of it as primarily associated with aging, you'll understand that by age 50, about half of men have some degree of erectile dysfunction. And then with each decade, the rate of it kind of goes up in lockstep. About 60% of 60 year olds. 70% of 70-year-olds, 80% of 80-year-olds like that. Mm -hmm. So when you think about half the population of guys have it by age 50 to some degree, usually on the milder side, but some more severe, you realize it is really prevalent and it really affects so many people because it doesn't just affect the guy, it affects the guy's partner as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a lot more common than I ever realized until I started learning more about this topic through documentaries and through reading this book. And like you said before, it's difficult for men because it's right there. Like they're the ones that have to perform. They're the ones that have to rise to the occasion, as you said, so it can really affect them. So there's
1: lots of, you can't fake an erection.
0: I know that's uh, <laughs> poor guys. I mean, I just feel sorry for you guys now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but I think this is this is also uh, one of the reasons why I w- I did write this book with women in mind as well, because over the years I've come to understand that the partners uh, in the heterosexual couples that I treat of my patients with erectile dysfunction have a lot of fear about the condition and have a lot of fear about the treatments. And in many cases, because they are afraid of treatments that are actually very safe, they deprive their, their partners and themselves of the benefit of these treatments. So demystifying the condition, helping the partners understand that um, the erectile dysfunction is not because they as a partner are inadequate, mm. not because uh, their their spouse or their, their lover is cheating on them. It's because they have an actual medical condition. Understanding that, demystifying that, and understanding that it's okay to take these pills. They're not going to cause a heart attack or sudden death so they can restore their intimacy. Uh, Dispelling the fear is so critical for the partner, and this book helps partners. And I often will tell my patients, please have your partner read this book with you so they can understand what's happening with you, and then you can work together.
0: Oh, that's so great. And, and yes, it really does help understand those things. So there's many factors, as you describe in your book, that are involved in sexual arousal, erection, and ejaculation. Because, and, and because men can have issues in lots of those different areas, I think that the average person doesn't really understand how much something like our diet and lifestyle choices can actually affect the penis because the penis is, like we said, connected to the whole system. And in your book, you said, quote, having trouble getting an erection may be your first and only warning sign of a looming heart attack or stroke. Wow, why is that? Can you help us make sense of that? Because I think the average person would never connect the two things.
1: Yeah, so the penis is primarily a whole bunch of tiny little blood vessels inside these sheaths that will expand and lengthen. But the expansion and the lengthening of the penis is due to blood flowing in and filling it up, kind of like you would inflate a tire with air. The penis is inflated with blood. And as with a tire, first it just gets bigger, but then it gets firmer and firmer as you pump more air into it same with the penis first it expands and then it gets harder and harder as more blood is pumped into it so that pumping of blood that filling up of blood requires a healthy blood vessel blood vessels a healthy circulation and the arteries that pump the blood into the penis are only a millimeter in diameter they're quite small and as a person experiences disease of their circulation What we call atherosclerotic disease or high blood pressure, which causes disease of their circulation. The blood vessels all throughout their body, including the blood vessels of their heart called the coronary arteries, begin to narrow and thicken and lose their ability to pump as much blood. And the arteries of the heart are five times uh, wider than the arteries of the penis. So as that process occurs, it's gonna affect the penis earlier, and you're gonna notice it sooner than it affects the heart. And you're gonna notice that in your penis because it's gonna be weaker. It's gonna have a poor blood flow, harder to get or maintain an erection, because those little one millimeter arteries are suffering too much. But what comes next are those five millimeter arteries in your heart. So when you get an erection, when you start to notice there's problems there consistently, that's um, not you know just a, a one-off psychological issue, pay attention because that could be a sign that the arteries all throughout your body are becoming diseased or weakened. And the next thing that goes wrong could be the heart. And in many cases, the first sign of heart disease is sudden death. Mm-hmm. So you don't really have much of a warning, but the penis is like your canary in the coal mine. It gives you a heads up, as it were a lot earlier than your first heart symptom might.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And I and I think that a lot of people would never connect the two. So I think that's why it's important to raise awareness about this because it might give men that opportunity to be like, oh, there's something going on here. I need to get checked out because you said there's at least 25% of people that the first indication that they may have heart disease is when they have a heart attack and they could die from that. So that's a really big deal.
1: (laughs) Just to illustrate that further, Viagra, which was the first pill that was developed for erections, was deliberately being developed for the heart, Mm -hmm. for heart health. Yet it turned out it was just mildly effective on the heart, but very effective on the penis. So it is interesting that these two organs that have such an important connection are also connected by the very development of Viagra. One was intended for the heart and it ended up being great for the penis. And what's great for the penis is great for the heart.
0: Yeah. So if you had to take an, a guess or an estimate, what percent of erectile dysfunction can improve or even be resolved with diet and lifestyle changes?
1: Oh, I would say that um, the majority of erectile dysfunction can be either improved or delayed by uh, lifestyle uh, intervention. Now, there we haven't yet figured out how to truly live forever, and so um, you know some changes of aging, regardless of what we do, you know, are inevitable eventually. But hey, we can frame shift those off by decades mm-hmm. with proper lifestyle. And proper diet and so the vast majority of erectile dysfunction is really due to chronic changes from aging and those chronic changes can be uh, slowed way down with diet and exercise or accelerated by bad choices Mm -hmm. now there are some of us who get neurological conditions or who have to undergo uh, intensive medical therapies receive radiation and surgery that knock out our erectile function, regardless of how good our lifestyle and diet is. And thankfully, there are medications or other treatments for those conditions, and they should not be dismissed and they should not be viewed as a failure. Mm-hmm. But for uh, many of us, we can slow down the onset of erectile dysfunction. And if we have erectile dysfunction, for many of us, we can reverse it to some degree, But we may not be able to reverse it entirely, and so still understanding the appropriate use of medications is important. Not to deprive ourselves of the intimacy that we and our partners uh, should enjoy, just because it's a you know it's not natural, quote unquote. So I think that we should embrace uh, a healthy lifestyle of of, of of good plant-based eating in order to prevent erectile dysfunction, in order to restore erectile dysfunction but be open to the use of medications where appropriate.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that the medications and the various treatments have their place. And I feel like your book helped demystify a lot of those things for me too. And I'm a physician, but of course I'm a pediatrician, so I I don't deal with erectile dysfunction. So before we go into specific dietary and lifestyle things, I'm just curious, when a man comes into you complaining of erectile dysfunction, And he hasn't had any lab work or anything like that. Do you look into that to see if he has high cholesterol or any heart disease? I mean, do you do any of those investigations yourself if they haven't been done?
1: Yes. So most men I see in my uh, suburban and urban population are referred to me. So they have been screened by a family doctor, primary care internist, uh, but um occasionally i do see patients who really have not and i like to look at um the lipid profile so the cholesterol lipid panel I like to look at the thyroid level because the thyroid is kind of a master hormone and when that's out of whack other things can be out of whack and i certainly look at the hormone profile for sex hormones testosterone specifically as well as other hormones that are important too the testosterone balance. And uh, in some cases, that will be the pituitary hormone, such as luteinizing hormone, which stimulates testosterone production and can give you a clue as to what the underlying cause of low testosterone is if there is low testosterone. And prolactin, another pituitary hormone that works independently, but if it is out of balance and being produced excessively, can impair the way luteinizing hormone stimulates testosterone and i'll also look at things like sex hormone binding globulin which can be a secret reason that men's testosterone level is actually lower than it appears or another reason why a apparently low testosterone is just fine for that guy Mm -hmm. a low sex hormone binding globulin doesn't bind up very much testosterone so a lower total testosterone can be completely adequate in some guys Whereas a high test, uh, sex hormone binding globulin, will bind up more of the testosterone, making what otherwise look like a okay low normal testosterone actually not adequate. These are the things that I tend to look at with the blood tests. Uh, some more than others, depending on the situation.
0: Awesome. Yeah, it's definitely more complicated than you would think, especially when it comes to the hormones and the different cascades that uh, interfere with the hormones. So, it's good.
1: Another so, thing that I'll another thing I'll, I'll look at though right off the bat is what are the other medications they're taking mm-hmm. because it, in some cases it's very simple and obvious that a particular medication that they're taking is uh, at least contributing if not the culprit and there are a couple of blood pressure medications in specific such as hydrochlorothiazide and beta blockers that are known culprits and then for some men uh, are are having an effect. And also in some cases, uh, an SSRI, uh, like a Paxil, for example, uh, can be inhibiting one's sexual response, not affecting the blood flow per se, but inhibiting the sexual response and, and, and playing a role as well. So that's a simple thing to check as well.
0: Mm-hmm. I was surprised because you have a, an entire chart in your book on all the different medications that can affect men, different levels, either with their libido, erection, ejaculation. And there's some really common medications on there like antihistamines or pseudoephedrine, which people use for colds and sinus infections, over-the-counter medications. And I, I've ne- I never knew that that could have an effect that way. So I think it's important for people to know that there's a lot of medications that can interfere with the whole process. <laughs> so.
1: That's right. and 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 some more than others and and some people, some guys are more susceptible than others. Uh, it's not as if you look at that list, and each one of these is gonna, you know make you dead. <laughs> it's but it but it, it is a variable and some are more susceptible due to their underlying general health. Um, mm-hmm. A guy who is already, uh, at risk for uh, with a poor circulatory system is going to be a lot more susceptible than a guy who is very healthy and robust and may take any one of these medications and not experience any of that side effect.
0: Yeah. So if they're already not having good blood flow, taking one of these medications is enough to like tip them over. Right. So that's right.
1: That's right.
0: Okay. So you talk a lot about nitric oxide in this book, which I did not know is a byproduct of nitroglycerin, which is what dynamite is made out of. I mean, how (laughs) perfect is that? So to be dynamite in bed, you need to optimize your nitric oxide and you can do that with what?
1: With food, with the right food. And it's typically plant-based food. So vegetables in general as a class of food, give us a lot more nitric oxide nutritionally than animal-based products. And there's some vegetables that are particularly good, such as the green leafy vegetables like kale, and uh, beets uh, are a great source. But all vegetables, uh, by and large, can contribute nitric oxide and, and at greater levels than animal products. These, uh, these vegetables uh, give us not nitric oxide directly in their leaves uh, because nitric oxide is actually a gas. It's a very, very rapidly uh, dissipating gas, uh, but it starts out as uh, as nitrites. And uh, we, we break them down uh, in the saliva uh, and in our stomach and in our intestines and they circulate in various forms in our blood and they get converted into the nitric oxide in our very blood vessels where they, where they momentarily have their effect uh, right at the surface of the lining of the blood vessel. And that effect is to cause the blood vessel to open up. It's like turning open the faucet and, uh, and letting the blood flow through a much bigger, more dilated blood vessel. That's how they work is they dilate our blood vessels. And the reason they can do that is because our blood vessels are actually lined by little muscles. And these muscles either relax and open, and that's what the nitric oxide triggers, or they constrict and close up tight. And that's what uh, uh, signals like adrenaline do. Uh, They cause them to constrict. And so when we're having an erection, nitric oxide is causing those blood vessels in our penis to open up and when we have a, an orgasm, at the end of it, we release a bunch of adrenaline and that causes the vessels to constrict and that's why our erection goes down. That's why we lose our erection after our climax.
0: Well, wow. Well, I think it's ironic that we're talking about eating vegetables, especially greens, because you know, kale is really in style right now. Definitely. Um, when traditionally we have thought of manliness <laughs> associated with meat so what could be some of the harms of eating more animal products when it comes to the erections
1: well we know that uh a animal based diet is associated with more blood vessel disease uh people who populations who consume higher levels of, of animal products um have higher levels of uh heart disease and, and uh, high blood pressure. And so just at that very rough level of science, uh, animal, animal consumption appears to cause uh, worse blood vessels and therefore uh, more erectile dysfunction. If you drill down into it and look at some of the studies trying to understand the mechanisms behind that, uh, studies have been done on uh, the nitric oxide release uh, of a blood vessel to cope with some stress on it. So our bodies have uh, mechanisms built in to deal with, with, with stress or injury. And you can um, you can test that, <clears throat> and you can test our body's mechanism of releasing nitric oxide to try to increase blood flow when it needs it by doing a test where you constrict uh, with a tourniquet uh, the forearm and the blood vessels of the forearm, putting some stress on the tissue there because it's not getting blood flow, and then release it Release that that constriction, and the blood flow will increase dramatically to try to make up for that lost circulation briefly. And that's a function of the nitric oxide. Um, and when you do a test like that, you'll see that that blood flow response is increased when you eat uh, green leafy vegetables, and it's blunted or decreased when you eat animal products, animal fat, animal protein. Um, Uh, cooked animal products uh, called glycosylated end products. And you can actually measure this effect lasting for up to uh, four to six hours following a single meal in the forearm. And that was the inspiration actually for the scene in the Game Changers movie where we decided to see if we could demonstrate an effect on the penis itself after a single meal an animal-based meal versus a plant-based meal.
0: Yeah, and I and I love that scene in the movie because uh, whenever you presented the results to the men, of course they were all giggly, and but it was quite surprising to see the the dramatic effect that it can have. And, and I think I just want more people out there to know that uh, you know what you eat makes a very big difference when it comes to your body health and your penis is part of your body. So if you wanna have better, longer lasting erections for a longer time period period in your life, then it really does pay off to focus your diet on whole plant foods, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, and especially those leafy greens to optimize that nitric oxide.
1: Another thing that we have learned and uh, dr jake rafer at uh, ucla has been a real pioneer in the understanding of nitric oxide and erectile function he's actually uh the primary uh urologist scientist who characterized this uh uh, when uh, viagra and even before viagra was being developed but what we've come to understand through a lot of his work is that nitric oxide is very important not only for the blood flow of the penis just at the moment it's being released but it has an important anti-aging property at the level of the mitochondria mm. so the mitochondria are involved in uh, the health of all of our cells um, but there's also factors that uh, are linked to the aging of our cells and the fibrosing of our cells, apoptosis and nitric oxide uh, synthase is a uh, enzyme that we have in our smooth muscle cells That produces nitric oxide and keeps those cells healthy. And once we get past our 30s, okay, not too old, past our 30s, that nitric oxide synthase starts to decline.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
1: And so the more we can supplement uh, with nitric oxide from plant sources, the better. And even better yet, there's some evidence that we may be able to keep that nitric oxide synthase going a little bit longer with uh, nutrition. Um, And so we look to nitric oxide, not just to increase the blood flow to our penis for an erection, but also to sustain the longevity of our our very blood vessels themselves and to counteract the aging process on our bodies.
0: Exactly. And that was leading right into my next question, Mm -hmm. which you know, we're talking about the penis, but what other benefits do these lifestyle habits, particularly we're talking about diet right now, have for men?
1: Well, um, your overall health and, uh, and vitality, um, you know, you need a healthy heart uh, and healthy circulation for, for anything you do in the bedroom or outside of the bedroom. And, um, you know, your biggest sex organ is your brain. And just as we talked about the uh, impending doom to the heart, if you start to have signs of erectile dysfunction, uh, the other big ticket item that could happen is a stroke. Mm -hmm. Okay, And uh, strokes are often due to disease of the arteries that carry the blood from the heart to the brain called the carotid arteries. They are significantly bigger than the arteries to the penis. And so you have more time. To address and reverse the, the hardening of those arteries and the plaque buildup in those arteries, but to preserve your brain, pay attention to your penis and pay attention to your total global circulatory health.
0: Awesome. Well, I think a lot of people that aren't yet eating a plant based diet may feel a little fearful because it's very different than the standard American diet. But in your book, you talk about taking a 90-10 approach. Can you explain that a little bit more?
1: Yes. So um, one other major health issue that um, I didn't yet share with you all is um, there is also a benefit to preventing prostate cancer. Mm. And uh, a a plant-based diet has been shown To reduce the risk of having prostate cancer or even reduce the prostate cancer from growing as quickly in a person who already has it. And so I'm often sitting down with men who are in their 60s, 70s, and advising them that they've just been diagnosed with prostate cancer and that the best thing for them to do is to switch to a vegan diet. Now, by the time you're in your 60s or 70s, uh, switching the way you eat. Is no easy task. It's much easier to adopt these healthy diet lifestyle choices when you're young. Mm-hmm. Um, but after six or seven decades, it's not so easy. But when you've just been diagnosed with prostate cancer, it's very scary. And so, what I tell my patients is hey, look, I want you to move towards a vegan diet. It doesn't have to be 100%. Um, you know, if you can get there, if you can go 50% and then 60, 70, 80, 90, but shoot. Shoot for 90, 95%. Because from a scientific standpoint, from a data standpoint, that's gonna that's gonna be very good. Mm -hmm. And if that allows you to stay with it, if if having a meal a week of whatever animal portion that you just seem to not be able to to live without, or or the ability to to share a meal with a friend, or uh, the desire to partake in something when you're traveling, if those are so compelling to you. That not doing that ruins your ability to stay with a plant-based diet. Then give yourself that flexibility. There are many people who are absolute with a vegan diet for very good reasons—ethical uh, reasons, environmental reasons. Um, but for those of us <coughs> for whom those reasons, <coughs> I'm sorry, for those of us for whom those reasons are not sufficiently compelling, I don't want those patients to abandon. The health benefits they will get from having a mostly plant-based diet because at least biologically it's not all or none and um, as we say in surgery when we're talking about irrigating out an incision so it doesn't get infected we use a lot of irrigation to cleanse it before we close up we have a saying the solution to pollution is dilution well that's kind of true you think about it in the environment too if there's If there's a a lot of water and you uh, throw a little bit of trash in it, you don't notice it as much as if there's not so much. Well, same with diet. Um, if you, if you must eat some animal products, dilute them with a whole lot of plant-based products, eat those plant, eat those plants at the same meal as those animal products. They play defense in your bloodstream at that same time. And that's actually been demonstrated with those flow tests. Um, and so when I counsel my patients, I say, if you can get to 90, 95%, you know, that's great. But you know, a full full vegan diet is even better.
0: I love that. And I think that that helps so many people because there's definitely, I'm the personality type, I'm an all or nothing person. So when I went into this way of eating, it was overnight, it was all and I think they didn't look back. But um, I think the majority of people aren't like that. And because- they think it's going to be all or nothing. They choose the nothing because it's too scary. Like, oh, I'm never going to yeah. be able to eat that again. Um, so, I, I really think that's going to help a lot of people um, to be able to adopt this in a way that makes sense for their lifestyle.
1: Yeah. And also, each day is the rest of your life, right? Mm-hmm. E- even if you um, were very earnest about eating vegan and then you fell off the wagon. Um, The very next day that you start eating vegan again, the benefits are happening that very day. Uh, And so um, there's no reason to think that, well, I missed it. You know, I I guess I couldn't do it. The very next day you start eating vegan, it's having an effect on your circulation for the next four to six hours, that meal. Each and every meal. Each and every meal is affecting you, beneficially or not, no matter how young or old you are, no matter what you have just... Uh, gone through, uh, or or how you have been living. Um, Each meal is an opportunity.
0: Yes. And it can take as little as 24 to 48 hours to completely change your gut microbiome. So for those out there that, you know, they're like, Oh, you know, I messed it up, like you're saying, no, you can start right back up again, and continue to make those positive changes to your entire body. So that's great. I'm curious, whenever you counsel men that are at risk for or come in with prostate cancer, do you talk about dairy specifically? Because especially with the latest review of milk and health from the New England Journal of Medicine, they really did talk specifically about prostate cancer and the risks associated with dairy.
1: Yes, I do focus on dairy. I do emphasize its um, uh, danger. <laughs> if you will. <laughs> um, when I'm talking to my patients, so often they'll say, "Oh well, uh, I don't eat red meat." <laughs> I, I, they'll say, "You know, I, I, I cut out red meat um, Or they'll say, "Oh, I don't eat, I don't eat meat um, uh, I just eat dairy. Mm-hmm. And, and there's this concept that there's this sort of uh, scale of badness for animal products with red meat being the worst and dairy being the best mm-hmm. and and I will say to them kind of jokingly well why don't you eat red meat you might as well it's it's no worse than dairy you know if you're going to eat animal products eat the ones that taste good to you because they're all the same there there is not a better animal product and a worse animal product in my opinion when you look at the science and dairy is a great example of that and There are other reasons that dairy um, may be harmful to your health, aside from just the fact that uh, it has the animal protein uh, in it. Um, There are some immunological aspects of dairy, too, that can be rather inflammatory. Um, But it is interesting when you look at some of the the key science that got me interested in a plant-based diet, such as the studies that were done by uh, Dr. Campbell uh, back when he was an investigative researcher and when he was doing his work uh, with the World Health Organization and the FDA, what he was noticing was these um, carcinogenic effects of an animal-based diet were a dairy protein-based diet. He was using casein dairy protein, and, and it was the dairy that he was uh, noticing was having an effect uh, in, in his animal studies. And when you look at studies about, uh, countries that consume higher amounts of dairy, like in Northern Europe, and you see the association with breast cancer, uh, mm-hmm. spiking in those countries, uh, it, and, and in other studies as well, it shows you that dairy is not, um, a better animal product, a, a kinder, gentler animal product. If anything, it, it's as bad or worse.
0: Yeah. I know. And Mm -hmm. and I think it's one of those things that for so many decades, we've been taught that dairy is this good thing. And I think a lot of people, especially when they give up meat, they feel like they still have to eat dairy because they need the quote protein, right? And so they, then they really overload the dairy and they're putting it on everything. Um, But just like you're saying, Dr. Campbell found that when this uh, milk protein, this casein, is probably one of the most carcinogenic Proteins that we can consume in our diet. I mean, that's really, really scary. So I think it's important for men to know that when it comes to their prostate, especially. Yeah.
1: One thing I want to point out is, I have many patients who think that if they eat animal products that are organic, mm. uh, pesticide and hormone free, then it's good for them, and that the that the ill health effects of animal products are really just because of the processing, Mm. the, the factory farming, the hormones, um, you know, maybe, you know, contamination, chemicals, uh, antibiotics, but it's really the animal, the animal itself, the, the protein, the fat, um, no matter how pristine, no matter how, how sustainably sourced and, uh, and free range and chemical free, it's, It's the actual cells of these animals consumed at the levels that are being consumed in in a Western industrialized nation that are the culprit. Mm -hmm. And that's really important to to demystify that.
0: Yes. Thanks for pointing that out, because I see that a lot, too, especially with milk, because it Mm -hmm. really confuses the public when they put on the milk hormone free which is not true. The, the hormones are inherent to the product, right? I mean, it's a hormone product, but what they mean by hormone free is that they're not injecting extra exogenous hormones into the animal, but it's already in there. And that's what happens with human milk too. I mean, we want that with human milk, with our babies, because that's part of helping our babies grow and develop properly. But really once we're past that baby stage and they've gotten human milk, We don't want to be consuming the milk of another mammal because it has hormones already in it, which is really affecting us.
1: And it also has immunological properties uh, that sometimes can be disastrous. Uh, I became aware of a study uh, several years back of how type 1 diabetes uh, can be linked in some people to uh, cow milk consumption as an infant because uh, there are these macromolecules in the milk. And in some cases, uh, they can mimic the molecules of the pancreas Mm -hmm. and then initiate an autoimmune reaction against the pancreas. Pretty disastrous. Um, So uh, when it comes to nutritional science too, we have to be aware that there's a lot we understand and there's a lot we don't yet understand. And so for my money, the best thing to do is look at populations of people, what they're eating and how they're doing, uh, rather than always focusing on what is the mechanism. Because if you can't come up with a good mechanism for something, that doesn't mean it is or isn't doing it. It just means you don't know what the mechanism is. But if you look at the big picture, do these people look healthy? Do these people not look healthy? What are they eating? And start from there. And when you look at, at populations that are eating primarily plant-based products, either because they want to or they just can't get the animal products they want because they just don't have the access. And then you look at their health outcomes, and they're so much better when it comes to chronic disease states. Um, That can be enough (laughs) of a scientific analysis. But as you break it down and get into the underlying mechanisms, um, you start to understand more and more why, but you also start to open the door for more and more confusion. And a lot of the raging debates you'll see online on podcasts, the debunking of plant based diet is usually the result of these reductionist mechanistic arguments that may or may not be true.
0: Yes. Oh, you're so right. I love that you brought that up because it does end up confusing people when we get to that reductionist state. And that's why, like you, I always bring it back to the big picture the blue zone studies. If we wanna be healthy, if we wanna live a long time, have longevity, well-being into our 90s and hundreds, look at the big picture. I love how you brought that up. Well, I want to shift gears really quick because I think that's something that people my age with uh, children living this busy lifestyle experience, and that's chronic stress. um, And it Really in your book, you talk about how this stress can affect the libido and erections. Can you explain why that happens and what can men do about it?
1: Yes. Yeah, so when we experience stress, we release uh, adrenaline. Adrenaline is the this, this signal that our body makes that allows us to handle stress. Now, uh, back in the day, when we were cavemen or more primitive, uh, stress was usually in the form of some sort of environmental challenge, okay? Uh, It was a predator um, or it was uh, severe weather uh, or severe geography, something that was physically stressing our body that we had to cope with. And that stress often came in the form of of a physical injury. And so what adrenaline did was it prepared us to cope with severe physical injury by increasing the blood flow to our core to our heart lungs liver brain and shunting the blood away from our arms legs fingers and toes in case you know one of those appendages got injured or cut off you know uh, we could still preserve our blood our circulation and survive it and one of the other appendages that blood was shunted away from was our penis. Mm-hmm. So these days, we have a very different, different kinds of stress. Very rarely do we have significant environmental stress. There's no predators prowling, uh, waiting to attack us. We are able to go indoors and, uh, and avoid the effects of weather. Uh, we have paved roads. All of that stuff has gone away, and most of our stress is now situational. Uh, psychological um uh, the results of the complexities of our society so if a man is experiencing stress for whatever reason the body still releases adrenaline and still shunts the blood to the heart lungs liver and brain and away from the fingers toes and penis and so stress very directly causes difficulty initiating or maintaining an erection because of that adrenaline chemical now What causes the kind of stress that causes erectile dysfunction? Well, it really can be any number of stresses. But the most common scenario I see is, for whatever reason, a a young, healthy guy uh, had trouble having an erection on that particular uh, uh, encounter. Uh, Maybe he had had too much to drink. Or maybe he had a cold, was a little under the weather, hadn't gotten much sleep the night before. Whatever it was, or, or maybe he was having some psychological distress, uh, had just uh, been recently divorced or, uh, or, you know, you name it, uh, had trouble having the erection. Okay, fair enough. That happens. But then what happens next, which is quite common, is he creates his own stress because the next time he goes to have sex, he has this thought, what if I have trouble having an erection like I did that last time? I don't even know why I had trouble, but what if it happens again? And that very thought causes him to release adrenaline. It's enough of a stress for him to release adrenaline. And then the adrenaline makes it difficult for him to have an erection. And now he's got reinforcement. And And then the next time he goes to have sex, he says, what if I have trouble having sex like I did those last two times? And now it becomes a vicious loop. And It's a very common scenario. It's very hard to tell yourself not to think that, and it just makes it worse and worse. And this is the underlying cause for most guys for performance anxiety. And understanding that is helpful. It helps you sort of shut off that internal dialogue, but it's not always sufficient. And the thing about uh, treatment for erectile dysfunction, such as uh, Viagra or Cialis, these pills that have now gone generic, Is that they stimulate nitric oxide strongly enough to typically overpower the constricting effect of the adrenaline. So the nitric oxide is opening up the blood vessel, the adrenaline is shutting it down, they're in this, you know, mortal battle for your penis, and usually the the pills will win. And that will allow many of these guys to sort of have several episodes of positive reinforcement and then get back to their good old normal selves
0: yeah so they can break that conditioning that they've developed <laughs> over that's that right. cycle that's, that's super right. interesting because like i said i feel like stress is a big part of american life especially for couples my age and it makes sense because what you're saying is in the past we had to prioritize survival because there's no use having sex and having kids if you're dead right so Correct. you had to prioritize survival whenever you're prioritizing survival, you're not needing to use your sex organ, you shunt blood away, but then it can also affect you know, uh, your erections. Now in modern life, we're not really having to survive as much in the real world. We're having to survive in our heads. We're creating all of these thoughts that make it so that we feel like we need to survive, but really it's just the, a consequence of modern life. And so that can affect libido. I'm wondering, can chronic stress also affect testosterone levels will it affect hormones that way
1: well it's interesting um there's a couple things that can affect testosterone and that have a nexus with stress um testosterone can be affected by severe physical stress Mm. so a lot of guys come in and they say you know i'm under a lot of stress at work and i think doc can that lower my testosterone and the answer to that question is no The kind of stress that lowers testosterone is at the level of combat, okay, at the level of of severe, intense boot camp training. So soldiers who are in active combat, that level of extreme stress lowers testosterone, which is ironic. We think of our soldiers as being, you know... um, uh raging with testosterone out on the battlefield aggressive fighting for their lives fighting for other people's lives and the testosterone must be just surging and in fact that degree of severe terrible stress on their on their minds and bodies is driving their testosterone very low down into the hundreds wow. in fact um so yes severe physical stress now if you have a severe illness um sure that kind of physical stress will lower your testosterone uh Moving down the scale from that extreme stress, endurance athletes, uh, marathoners and triathlon, uh, you know, uh, ultra marathoners, these people that are endurance athletes, their testosterone is in the lower end of the normal range Mm. because of the physical stress on the body. Now they're completely healthy, they're fertile, they're sexual. It's just interesting to note how the body's testosterone production adjusts to physical stress. Like that. So that's how stress and uh, testosterone are related. But interestingly, there's another relationship, and that is sleep. So we, we produce testosterone by a signal from our pituitary that I mentioned earlier called luteinizing hormone. And luteinizing hormone is secreted mostly when we are in REM sleep. And if we are losing sleep, if we are compromising our sleep, uh, we will likely be making lower levels of testosterone. And in fact, this has been demonstrated. A colleague of mine did an excellent study looking at night shift workers and found that they had lower testosterone levels because they weren't truly getting the same amount of REM sleep when they came home at the end of their shift and you know, tried to catch up during the day. Another sneaky way that we can lose sleep and also therefore lower our testosterone and increase our adrenaline and stress levels is sleep apnea. Mm. Sleep apnea is a condition where we um, actually close our airway in the middle of the night. It uh, collapses shut uh, while we're asleep. And it's not just snoring, it's actually uh, asphyxiation. It's a loss of oxygen for some period of time. And that loss of oxygen during episodes of apnea during sleep apnea, causes real stress on the body, not psychological stress, real stress on the body. Mm -hmm. Uh, And not only is the body losing its REM sleep and making less testosterone, but the body is is releasing a lot more adrenaline to deal with the stress of not getting oxygen. And that adrenaline level remains higher throughout the day as well and can contribute to erectile dysfunction Mm. as well as... High blood pressure and sleep apnea has been shown to be related to a lot of very bad health conditions. um, Probably in part related to the adrenaline response, as well as you know, no bueno to have no oxygen (laughs) in your body tissues. So sleep, getting sleep uh, deliberately, um, being cheated of sleep unknowingly through sleep apnea, uh, are important. uh, It's an important uh, cause for erectile dysfunction and low testosterone.
0: Wow, I mean, that is so fascinating because really, and you include this in your five-step plan for maximal penis health. Right. I feel like that plan really is the lifestyle medicine doctor coming out in you because it really is about eating a healthy diet, getting sufficient sleep, getting exercise, avoiding toxins, like you were saying earlier in the interview things like cigarette smoking and, and drinking, those things can definitely affect penis health. But sleep is one of those things that is like the first thing to go in people's lives. And oh, yeah. we really do deprive ourselves of sleep very regularly. I, I hope that people start to understand how important it is, not just for our bodies, penises, but our brains, our, the long-term longevity of our brains, decrease our risk of Alzheimer's and dementia. We have to get our sleep.
1: Absolutely. and the reason that the five-step plan for maximum penis health looks like a lifestyle medicine guide is because what is good for your penis is good for your whole body. And what is good for your whole body is good for your penis. So yeah, they are one in the same. And this, this book really could just be called the body book. Um, yes. and, and everything that I describe in this book, well, almost everything I describe in this book is also good for women. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, minus the things that are truly penis specific, but the general uh, the, the chapters on diet um, and on, on lifestyle uh, apply to human beings.
0: Yes. Oh, it's I love it. It's wonderful. But speaking of women, how can women support the men in their lives? I feel like women we get, you know the stereotype of we're just nagging and we're trying to get our husbands to eat quinoa and kale and those kinds of things. But when we want to address these health issues, we're concerned for their well-being. What's the best way for us to approach men?
1: Well, I think a very easy way is to share information. If you are sharing new information with with your man that is accurate and actionable, and relevant he's gonna to listen to you okay um, if you're saying you know you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that um, okay but if you're saying but here's something you can do that's gonna help you and and actually look here's the proof he might stop and listen and say wow and, and that's the power of um, of information you know really good actionable information is extremely powerful. This is why the movie, The Game Changers, is resonating so powerfully around the world right now, because it presents information that's actionable and true. And people people look at that film and they go, oh, wow, I never knew that. And yes, I have a part in that movie about erectile dysfunction, but the movie is about so much more. But it is interesting that for some for some viewers... It's the erectile dysfunction part of the film that, that brings them in. And so I think women, if they talk to their men about sexual function in an empowering way, not in a critical way or not in an embarrassed way or a dismissive way, but in an empowering way, say, hey, honey, um, I just learned that what you eat can help you in bed. Um, and let's take a look at this and you know, let's sit down and let's, let's read this book together or let's look at this other information. Cause you know, my book is just one resource. There's, there's a lot of information that reinforces this, but I think bringing the information, um, from the, from the, um, sort of philosophical standpoint of I love you and I want you to be happy and healthy and I want to share information with you that I think will keep you happy and healthy. I think if you come with from that approach, um, and give them good, actionable, reliable information, uh, that's the way to do it.
0: I love it, that's so great. And thank you for saying it that way too, because I feel like a lot of women feel helpless and maybe they start to get more to the controlling side, do this, do that, like you said, but if we present it more in an empowering way, give information, then maybe our men will start to think about it. And I I agree with you, I feel like the uh, erectile dysfunction part of that movie Is making a big difference for a lot of men and it's really what's kind of making them think huh maybe there's something to this well really quickly what do you wish more men knew
1: well I wish more men knew that the key to good sexual performance um, reducing the risk of prostate cancer and reducing the risk of so many of the diseases that men ultimately succumb to, and women for that matter, um, is what they eat. It is so simple. I I believe, based on the science I've seen, that we could eliminate 70% of the illnesses that people are suffering from as they get older just through simple dietary changes. Simple dietary changes, not complicated just go to the produce section and shop there for your meals and leave it at that it doesn't matter what the ratio of this vegetable and that vegetable are or, or you know the mechanism in which they're prepared eat a lot of vegetables and fruits and a lot of different kinds all the time it's that simple and that's what i wish more men knew
0: i love it thank you so much well dr spitz this has been great just two final things one how can listeners connect with you and what services do you provide?
1: So uh, listeners can connect with me online at Uh They also can you know, enjoy a lot of the information that we shared in this podcast by uh, going and uh, ordering the Penis Book on Amazon uh, or Barnes and Nobles. And it's available as an ebook, as an audio book, which I narrate as well as a good old paperback. Um, I am in practice in, uh, Laguna Hills and Irvine and Mission Rio These are all in Southern California. And I see, uh, general urology patients as well as patients for uh, sexual dysfunction and fertility. Um, so if people are in, in my, uh, general vicinity, uh, I am a urologist in practice. Uh, so, uh, those would be the ways. And you can also, uh, look for, uh, our posts on, uh, twitter and uh, instagram etc
0: perfect and then finally can you leave my listeners with a call to action for the week what is one thing that they can do this week to improve their lives
1: this week you can choose to eat fruits and vegetables for your very next meal whether it's breakfast lunch or dinner and uh you can start that just as easily as uh what part of the refrigerator you look in or what part of the grocery store you go to today.
0: Awesome. Dr. Aaron Spitz, thank you so much. Thank you for writing this amazing book. Thank you for everything that you do. I appreciate you so much. And thank you for being on Veggie Doctor Radio today.
1: Well, thank you, Dr. Yami. It was a real pleasure.
0: And I hope that you have a fantastic day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, uh, I hope that uh, at least half of my listeners Enjoy a plant-powered penis.
0: (laughs) Awesome. That's even better. (laughs) I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for tuning in. And I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at Rocket Surgeons Music. Please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, all of my social media links can be found in the podcast description. Send me a message and let me know what you think of today's podcast. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and drop me a line if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day broccoli